situation. He took a pinch in the back. He got beamed for crying out loud. We used heart attack. Managers on a major league baseball team don't make decisions. Credibility in this situation is worse than losing your job. Was it over with the Travis Bob Pro The castration of the major league baseball managers we know it. Ask me about my winner. What's going on, everybody? Another edition of the Passball Show brought to you by JohnPielli.com, by St. Aloysius Church in Jackson, New Jersey, by Two Ways, One Passion Food Truck, located in Scranton, Pennsylvania. I've been kind of building this up for a little bit of a while now, now that we really are days away from the official announcement that the start of the Major League Baseball season is going to get delayed. And I think we've spent too much time trying to figure out exactly whose fault it is that the players and the owners can't come together on a new CBA and you know you, you see you hear the takes from many fans they're just they're upset you know why they're upset because they want to see baseball but you know they see some of the little things that go on that probably aren't favorable to the players particularly the young players yeah, you know, somebody like a Mike Trout goes out there and could have won the MVP as a rookie. And how many um, rookie of the years were also the MVPs at their respective leagues? You know, there's uh, Fred Lynn, there's Ichiro. So when, when you look at it that way, why can't that player that may, after their first year, be already one of the best in the sport, get compensated the same way that players that have been in the league for years have and may not have necessarily accomplished what the player as a rookie or the player in his, in his second year have accomplished. You, know, you look at Juan Soto right now and his, you know, the possibility of what type of contract is he going to be worth, not just but from what the Washington Nationals are willing and able to pay him, but what is he going to get long term? I can side with the people that are so pro-player at this point. But the issue is, you know, you go to one of the laziest cliches out there, it takes two to tangle. You know, you could talk about the fact that the owners locked the players out and they could have collectively bargained together while um, still maintaining baseball. You could have still had an offseason. Free agency could have been done um, not only should pitchers and catchers have already been set up, but there would have been games starting today. And all of that, you could blame on the owners if you want. But at some point, there's that divide that has existed. And it's not like the players and the owners haven't had a couple of years to get to the root of what their problems are. You know, the owners, as they're hearing the proposals from the players, and the players, as they're hearing the counterproposals by the owners, aren't shocked with the... Uh, opinions that they have in regards to what they're looking for. These are issues that have leaked out over the past two years. There was two years before December 1st when the CBA expired for the players and owners to get together. And if any of them really gave a shit about baseball right now, they would have resolved some of those issues before the owners made the decision to lock out the players. And you hear that the commissioner and the head of the Players Association, Rob Manfred and Tony Clark, spoke for the first time in person this past Friday. That just shows how little either one of them give a shit about having baseball right now. And that's something that may not bother you. 
you know, John Q casual baseball fan that, yeah, likes to play a little fantasy sports and follow their favorite team a little bit. But if there's no baseball, it doesn't impact you. Well, what about the freaking John Pielis of the world? What about the other people out there that eat, breathe, and sleep the friggin' sport? That because of their selfishness, and I don't care what friggin' side you're on, but the selfishness of the players and the owners alike, that they couldn't get their damn heads together and at least resolve some of these issues until the owners locked them out and didn't talk to them for 43 days, and now we're two days away from the official announcement that opening day is going to be pushed away. And I'm not going to get into stupid semantics of, oh man, you know, how many baseball fans are you going to lose? I'm not going anywhere. In fact, the majority of your diehards aren't going anywhere. The majority of your casuals aren't going anywhere. So this thought that you could just go there and just simply cancel baseball and not watch baseball and don't give in to the players and the owners, or if you want to solely blame it on the owners, that's a bunch of bullshit too. The issue that I have right now is the players and the owners, their own selfishness and their own negligence and the fact that they were so naive to think that they apparently were closer than they really are just screams pure ignorance. It was drawn out into the public through the media and they were reporting how far away the players and the owners were a couple years before the end of the CBA. And now we're going to talk about, well, there's nothing else we could do. Well, you you wasted so much time. Yes, there can be a narrative that exists that the owners don't want baseball. Because I'm starting to believe that. I'm starting to believe you know the owners led by Commissioner Manfred, who has done nothing to stick his face into the game and change everything that he possibly can. Uh, he, he's, he's done everything he can to destroy the game. And how much more can you destroy the game of baseball by canceling it? How much more can you destroy the game of baseball by postponing the start of the regular season? For crying out loud, I know there's a lot of other people out there that are th- thinking about heading to spring training or they they go there every year because you know what? Every time I go there, there's thousands and thousands of fans from all over that are showing up to these stadiums watching these games. I know I'm not the only one. I center my friggin' plans for the year around baseball. And because of the selfishness, hey, Mostly the owners, but the players haven't done anything to help this either. The fact that Tony Clark is speaking to Rob Manfred for the first time, you know, the fact that you know these these proposals are going back and forth, and the players had the audacity to come back with a proposal after they proposed the minimum salary to be X, they they raised it. They raised the minimum salary in their next freaking proposal. And yes, I know that's going to piss off all you pro player people out there. And they're going to say, oh my God, how could God forbid you say something bad about the players of Major League Baseball? And I'm not going to make it about the amount of money that they're making because it isn't about the players that make the most in the sport. That I understand. The Max Scherzers and the Bryce Harpers and uh, Mike Trouts and the players that are making two, three hundred million dollars or more over the course of their contracts. You know, the five hundred million dollar to half a billion dollar middle infield that the Texas Rangers have right now. None of this is about them. But the question is, how much 
are you going to let it sacrifice the very product that you've busted your ass to produce? Because it's not like baseball is the most interesting thing in the world. It's not like it's the biggest growing sport in the world. I'm watching football and I'm watching basketball uh, certainly take their shot at being a lot more fan-friendly, a lot more interesting, and certainly from a rating standpoint, bringing a little more to the table than your average Major League Baseball game. Now you can play this when you talk about markets. Oh, maybe baseball is better in New York than it is in certain places, and maybe in California and Chicago and Detroit and Boston and Philadelphia. Sure, they, they love all their sports. In the end, baseball is a failing product. And it's only going to get worse the longer it delays the start of its regular season because you got two sides that don't seem to want to be in the same stratosphere with each other. Now, you can talk about all the different issues that exist in the, in the sport of baseball, all the things that have to re be resolved. They have to agree on a CBT, which is a collective balance tax or a luxury tax or some sort of cap, which you know the players for years have wanted nothing to do with. Perhaps there could be a salary floor. The one issue that I've seen in baseball that I'd like to see changed that I don't believe is going to be changed is the fact that there is a quarter of its league that isn't even trying. There's nothing that's going to do to push the owners of the Cleveland Indians and the Pittsburgh Pirates and other teams that don't give a damn about putting a winning product on the field because it's not hurting them in their wallets. And once again... If anything happens to the owners, it's an indictment on the commissioner. So the owners are not to concede anything like this. It's not like the owners are going to you know, turn on each other. They're a group of gentlemen who are making billions and billions of dollars, and they have the ownership of their own professional sports team as a for-profit business. And that's all it is. They don't care about winning championships. They don't give a shit about their fans. And what they want to do is just simply turn a profit. And that's an embarrassment to the fans of the Pirates and the Orioles, two once extremely prominent teams. You can make a case they were two of the best teams in the 1970s. And in fact, I could turn this into a whole monologue and talk about how great the 1970s were for Major League Baseball. But the fact that there isn't competitive balance. The fact that there are teams that are quite fine with not trying, quite fine with not developing their own players and paying them, quite fine with not bringing in free agents that could put themselves over the top and compete with the other teams, that's the problem that needs to be addressed. That's the problem that isn't going to be addressed for this new CBA. So therefore, I could care less about what the owners and the players agree to right now. What can I expect? Listen, may, maybe after I, I you know, express what I'm expressing right now, the players and the owners get together and there is some sort of agreement next week. And you know what? I'll be happy. I'll be happy to take back everything I say. But the bottom line is right now, the owners of Major League Baseball teams and the players collectively can give a blessed shit about having baseball right now. They care about themselves. They care about their own rank and file and are going to do everything they can to support themselves. In fact, the owners are supporting the owners and the players are supporting the other players 
like you, John Q Baseball fan, supports your favorite baseball team. And with that is going to exist the same biasness that you and I have when we're rooting for our own, our own favorite teams. And by the way, when you take it a political route where you've sold your heart and soul to support your own favorite political party. So the owners and the players don't care about you. That's the point that you should understand. They care about each other. And there's nothing that could be implemented now in baseball that's going to make baseball a better sport. It isn't. You figure in the end, when cooler heads prevail and whatever that is, hopefully to see, you know there aren't too many games that are canceled, but I'm almost sure that there's games that are going to be canceled. In fact, I will double down on a bet that I made earlier, which I still haven't paid for losing, James Harden getting traded to the Philadelphia 76ers, which I didn't think was going to happen at the trading deadline. I'm going to double down on this bet. I'm going to owe you two penalties if Major League Baseball starts its season on time. Because it's not going to happen right now. At least with the information that's out there and the fact that the owners and players and how much of a damn they give uh, about this very sport that they support, there's not going to be an agreement in place by Monday. And if there is, then you know what? I owe you two penalties. Which, like I said, we've talked about, hey, should I eat a cockroach? Should I chug some hot sauce? Should I have somebody throw an ice bath on me You know, in my studio with my new fresh green carpet and my suit on? Whatever it is, it'll be two penalties that I will owe you, the viewer and the listener. But I have a very easy way to get back at it. I'll be even if Monday comes and they're announcing that opening day is being delayed. And once opening day is delayed, you know those games are canceled. And we're starting to talk about a shortened season. And a season that's likely going to start well into April at the very earliest. You already see spring training games canceled through March 8th. If there's an agreement on Monday, like I said, I'll owe you two penalties. There won't be because the owners of Major League Baseball teams care about themselves and they're in it with the commissioner to delay the start of the regular season. Which, by the way, you know they don't have to pay players for every game that is canceled. If I'm the players, I'm not, agree- I'm not agreeing to anything that includes any sort of expanded pro- postseason. That's the last thing the sport needs. The sport has so few teams that are trying to begin with to allow teams to backdoor themselves into the playoffs and have some sort of format or tournament is not what baseball needs right now. Baseball needs less teams in its postseason. And you know what? I've come to grips with the fact that that's probably not going to happen. But what I absolutely would despise is if there's any sort of expanded form of playoffs. Because baseball doesn't need it. Like I said, what you saw in 2020, you knew because of the weirdness of the season and the fact that it was 60 games and the fact that uh, Freddie Freeman and Trevor Bauer uh, won Mickey Mouse awards over the course of non-full seasons. There was so much of a charade involved with it already that you might as well have allowed everybody in the playoffs. 62.5% of the teams in Major League Baseball made the postseason in 2020. Was it more entertaining? No. You know what? The fact that the season was so short 
made like some of what you saw in the postseason made up for the lack of a, of a season. There was two months of a baseball season. You add another week or so to the postseason. It kind of paid the fans back a little bit, but it worked for one year. It's not going to work forever. And baseball, obviously, you looked at the history of the sport before 1961 when there were eight teams in each league and one team made the postseason in each league. That's what made the Yankees and their dominance from 1946 all the way through 1964 exactly what it was. And that's why that's the greatest team or greatest series of teams that have ever existed in Major League Baseball history. And right, honestly, they're right up there with the with the 50s and 60s Celtics, the 11 and 13 championships that the Boston Celtics won as the greatest dominant run of a dynasty in the history of sports. Now, the reason I say that is because you're talking about the playoff format that all the way through 1968 remained one team in each league. And of course, the difference between baseball up to 1960 and baseball from 1961 to 1968 is there was expansion in the American League in 1961. The Los Angeles Angels and the Washington Senators. And of course, the Washington Senators had existed before but moved to Minnesota for the start of the 1961 season. And there was a new team gifted to Washington. 1962 was the birth of the Houston Astros and the New York Mets. So from 1961 to 1968 in the American League and 1962 to 1968 in the National League, you had one playoff team out of 10. A one, a one in 10 chance if everything was all equal of making the playoffs. 1969 comes, two more teams are added to each league. So it goes from one out of 10 to two out of 12. And you have two divisions in each league. Two playoff teams play each other for the right to go to the World Series. And that works all the way up through 1993. Ready to be implemented in 1994, which by the way was when uh, cooler heads couldn't prevail. The owners were pissed off because the, the way free agency had kind of gone against them and the pendulum had swung in the other direction. And the, the players end up striking that strike results in no postseason in 1994. So from 1995 up to about, what, 2000, you know, 90, I think it was like 98, right? Before they implemented a wild card and a redivision. And you had one wild card and then two wild cards. How many teams do you want in a postseason? That's the, the issue that I really have here. And listen, is it good for baseball because more teams are in? Yes. But it's not good for baseball if you know that there's teams that aren't giving a shit. If you know there's teams that aren't trying, teams that aren't doing everything they can to put the best product on the field to try to win. And if there's expanded playoffs, it's only going to encourage teams to not try harder. Not make that ladder move to put yourself over the top. Add that player at the trading deadline that you need to. Extend that player that's one of your own instead of trading them. Increase your payroll at certain times. Owners that are just getting by making a profit by not paying their players are going to feel like they don't have to do anything more. And that's why I have an issue with it. So I'm going to in introduce a new segment to the show next week. And it's going to be fun. I'm, look I'm really looking forward to it. We're going to record an intro to it. And it's basically going to be some satire. I'm going to knock myself. I'm going to go back to previous shows about certain things that I've said 
whether they're points that I've ranted about and turned out to be wrong, whether they're little errors and omissions that happen as I go to speak. What we've realized, and if you listened or watched enough of my shows, you know that, hey, I could misspeak. I could say something that, you know, unintentionally um, excludes a certain fact. And this segment is going to go back and kind of remind the viewers and the listeners the silly and the stupid things that I do. So the other thing I wanted to bring up today, you had James Harden's debut with the Philadelphia 76ers. And one thing you learn about James Harden is James Harden, when he joins a new team, he has he, he, he seems to want to embrace himself to his new squad, his new fans, his new teammates, and say, hey, I'm the consummate team player. I'm going to go out there and drop 12 assists to go on my 20-plus points. He did that in Houston in his debut. You saw that a little more than a year ago when he made his debut for the Brooklyn Nets, and he saw it the other day when he made his debut with the Philadelphia 76ers. The problem with James Harden is you know that James Harden's a scorer. James Harden isn't a distributor of a basketball. And you can talk all you want about, hey, how many assists he has sometimes. You understand that the stat of assist back when Oscar Robinson was dishing the ball out, back when John Stockton was dishing the ball out, was a an explanation of why somebody was unselfish. Now, it's just becoming another pat on the back, another notch on somebody's belt. And you've heard me talk before about Russell Westbrook, the fact that nobody could dispute the fact that he's a first ballot Hall of Famer. There's no question that's where he's going to be. Once his career is over, um, he'll have his number probably retired in Oklahoma City. I don't know about any of the other teams, whether it's Washington, whether it's Houston, whether it's the certainly not the Lakers. So you're looking at somebody that really has changed the game, saying, hey, all the emphasis doesn't have to be on scoring. If I could get a certain amount of rebounds each night and a certain amount of assists each night, then I could identify myself as this type of player. Now, that type of player is great when they lead their team to victory, when their unselfishness that exists as a player helps lead their teammates to better shots. Russell Westbrook dishing the ball off to, let's say, a Kevin Durant in OKC to hit a big shot was was a reason that they got themselves to an NBA Finals. And by the way, Russell Westbrook hasn't been back since. So you've heard my knock on Russell Westbrook, and I don't want to turn this into another uh, another Westbrook bash because he's a he's a great player, but it's an example of somebody that's trying to take care of their own stat sheet as opposed to helping their team. And I look at James Harden, and I believe that James Harden cares more about James Harden than he does helping his team win a championship. Now, I'm not going to give you the easy answer, which is kind of what I'm feeling, but I know it's a little flawed. If I say that, hey, if James Harden cared more about his team's winning championships, he would have won a championship. Now, I understand that it's not that easy. You know, I, I want to I, I want to be the most uh, predominantly known national sports talk host in the country. It's not that I don't want to. It's just that I'm not right now. So James Harden could want to win a championship. He could say all the right things. But in the end, James Harden cares a lot about his own stat sheet. He cares about the ball in his hands. He cares about dropping 50 points a game if he can. And he has very seldom made any of his other teammates better. You look at his experience in Houston, whether it was with John Wall, 
with Russell Westbrook, Carmelo Anthony. You could pair him with Kevin Durant. You could pair him with Russell Westbrook. And it's not like any of those teams did anything. And imagine, and I just think to this day, that there was a team that actually existed that had Kevin Durant and had Russell Westbrook and had James Harden. And why that team didn't win multiple championships. And you look at the history of two of those players, they haven't changed their game to help their teammates at all. And Russell Westbrook, like I said, one parting shot with Russell Westbrook, and hopefully this will be the last that I talk about him for a while. Russell Westbrook handles the ball, and he's an awful ball handler. Somebody else should be bringing up the ball, whether it's the Lakers now or the Washington team before or Houston or OKC. You know, him handling the ball gives him the best chance of getting those 10 assists a game. And you want me to make a correlation of something I mentioned before? You talk about the owners looking out for the owners in Major League Baseball. You talk about the players looking out for just the players in Major League Baseball. That's Russell Westbrook looking at the stat sheet, trying to make sure that he he blows away this record in triple doubles because he cares more about getting a triple double than he does, does helping his team win a game. And James Harden is tired of people knocking him for taking too many shots. He's tired of people saying, oh man, you know, it's great to score 50 points in a game, but why do you have to be the only one shooting the ball? You don't make any of your teammates better. So what does he do? He says, hey, how can I improve my stat sheet to change this narrative? I go to Houston, my first game, 10 plus assist. I go to Brooklyn, my first game, I have 10 plus assist. My first game in Philadelphia, I go out there, I have 10 plus assists. You know what that shows? You can look at the stat sheet and say that I care about distributing the ball. He doesn't care about distributing the ball. Now, in the end, you ask yourself, because the most important thing to talk about when it comes to the Philadelphia 76ers, who now have James Harden, is whether they're going to win a championship. And they're right up there. I think a lot of people are sleeping on the Miami Heat. The Miami Heat really look like they have it together. The Milwaukee Bucks are the defending champions. The Chicago Bulls have had a great season. You've heard my my feelings about my own Cleveland Cavaliers. I think there's going to be some competition in the East. The Brooklyn Nets, hopefully by the time postseason starts, Kevin Durant will be back. Kyrie Irving will be allowed to play home games in the city of New York. Which, by the way, how in the hell do you have an ordinance that bans players that play for New York teams to play in an indoor arena without being vaccinated, but opposing players aren't subject to the same thing. Unbelievable. Unbelievable that countless unvaccinated NBA players have been able to play games in Madison Square Garden and the Barclays Center, yet Kyrie Irving can't. I think the Nets will be rested. Will they have enough time to gel? Will Ben Simmons be on the court? I mean, that's one of the most interesting things in basketball. And I could talk about so many different things, but what fascinates me the most is seeing what the Brooklyn Nets could be if they get the whole band together. If they play the three players that are probably the most important to them on the court at the same time. And oh yeah, there's this guy by the name of Joe Harris that's on the bench that is it, you know, hasn't been able to play all season. They could somehow get those five, four guys on the court in addition to what they have. 
I think it's a team that could, you know, be in there as a seven or eight seed and win a championship. But the question, which has been asked all season, will it ever happen? Well, you know, the New York City or ordinance thing hopefully is coming to an end. Kevin Durant, eh, you know, hopefully you're going to see him back on the basketball court soon. Ben Simmons traded to the Brooklyn Nets. All of a sudden, he's okay mentally. Good. You know, get on the basketball court. Do what you're getting paid the millions and millions of dollars to do. Help your team. But the question, which I kind of started by not really asking, but implying, the 76ers, can they win themselves a championship this year? You know, you go back to the 1980s, the Billy Cunningham teams with Dr. J and Maurice Cheeks and uh, Daryl Dawkins and so so many really, really good players. They won a championship. They were uh, guaranteed a spot in the postseason every year. The 76ers have built up a team that could be as good as that team. Now, what, what do they have to do? They have to go out there and win a championship. You know, they could start by getting to the NBA Finals, something that, by the way, Allen Iverson did, but Joel Embiid has not. Now, Joel Embiid is the leader of that team. He is star number one. James Harden going over there, star number two. Listen, they have a, a very good balance of young players that have, have done well for them this season. I like the 76ers. The question's going to be this narrative that exists about James Harden. And I'm making it all about James Harden because I like the 76ers. In fact, this was a good team before James Harden got there. The only reason there's a James Harden trade is because Ben Simmons decides he doesn't want to play there anymore. So I look back at it. It's about James Harden. And does James Harden got to be the alpha dog in a room? Does he have to be the number one player? Does he have to take that role away from Joel Embiid? No. But there's an obligation for the 76ers to win. And if they don't get to the NBA Finals this year, there's going to be questions about whether James Harden is that type of player that could lead a team there. Now, I used to think that the Brooklyn Nets were kind of the team that had to win. And that was before they made the trade for Harden last year, by the way. That was when they... They signed Durant. They signed Kyrie Irving. Kind of their, uh, their their big ticket deal. That this was going to be a team that was going to compete for championships. And you had a certain window. That window might be closing. And that might look a whole lot different next year. Now the emphasis and the onus has switched to the city of brotherly love. And there is expectation that the Sixers should go out there and win themselves an NBA championship. I think they can. I think they have enough good pieces now. You know, Tobias Harris and Maxi and Thibel. They they have some depth there. And and I I do like this team. The question when you're gonna see, does James Harden make them better? Or does he push them towards the middle of the pack? Because I watched James Harden over the course of the last year when he's been on the court with the Brooklyn Nets, and I don't think he's necessarily made them better. Now, he was injured in the playoffs last year, and you heard my take. Listen, we could talk about somebody playing hurt and give them all the credit in the world for going out there. You know, Willis Reed going on the court and the impact it had, even though he, he was out of the game pretty shortly after. The emphasis from the crowd and how it helped spark the Knicks to victory. James Harden being on the court in the postseason for the Nets last year did not help the team. And I can't use it as an excuse and say, hey, he wasn't 
Because, you know, at what percent are you a liability to your team? And James Harden didn't help the Nets in the postseason last year. When the Bucks beat him, you know, there was, there was a part of James Harden that they needed out there that may have been physically unable. And James Harden at 30% was not helping the Nets at all. Somebody else at 100% might have been able to outperform James Harden at 30%. So you want to throw the injury in there if you're a Harden apologist? You, you can be, and I'm, I'm totally cool with that. But when it comes down to it, there is an onus on him to prove himself as a winning basketball player. You know, is it a battle between him and Kevin Durant and, you know, their old buddy Russell Westbrook? Well, Durant's winning that battle by a mile. You know, Durant's going to go down in history of, as one of the 20, if not better, players to ever play in NBA history. I can't say that about Westbrook. I can't say that about James Harden. And yes, Durant went to Golden State and won a couple championships there. Well, what about the, where where have the other players won? And James Harden has the ability from a scoring standpoint. Um, I'm not sure he's the greatest teammate. <coughs> Excuse me. I'm not sure he's the greatest teammate. But I think that he has the ability to be as a solid number two scorer, scoring 20, 30 points a night. He could really help his squad. We'll see how it ends up turning out. We'll be back with you on another episode of the PBS. Um, we'll be on ColorCast on Monday. So it's basically a half-hour blast where I go out there and you know discuss anything that's on my mind. What I like about the ColorCast network is you could invite yourself on as a guest if you want to speak about something. Um, there's a comment feed that you could shoot comments, and I'll interact with anything. And my rules for that show are pretty much, hey, I'm going to go on a filibuster and just rant about what I want to talk about. Anytime you want to chime in, you own the floor. And that, that's what I want on this show. Um, be back with you another PBS in this format Wednesday morning. So hope you enjoy yourself. Have a nice weekend. Um, God bless you. And as always, I'll see you on the other side. Chris Bryant was on the Chicago Cubs roster opening day. I have many leather-bound books. My apartment smells of rich mahogany. Why don't you give it all or a majority of it to the team that wins the freaking World Series? I was going to listen to that, but then I just carried on doing my life. Now they come out as the biggest... Major League Baseball manager apologist. It'll only make someone work just hard enough not to get fired. Because hitters are going out there saying, I'm either going to hit a home run or I'm going to strike out. And if I don't get a pitch that I feel like I could drive out of the park. I was supposed to be here today. Especially prospect whores and hoarders are going to be a little pissed off at me when I say this. I'm a dude playing the dude disguises another dude. There are only two managers in baseball's Hall of Fame who have losing records. One of them is the iconic Connie Mack, who you could say, in spite of winning five World Series championships as a manager, could be in as much as a pioneer. And what side of the spectrum they're on? Were they pitching? Were they batting? If your favorite team was pitching and a ball got inside and hit a batter, there's no way it could have been on purpose. But if you were a fan of the team that was batting and a ball got inside and hit somebody or went behind somebody's head, absolutely 100%, unequivocally, that pitcher was throwing at. Well, we're going to go deep. Deep.
put their tail between their legs and decided they're going to do exactly what they're told. You're damn well right. Better give him a contract extension. You're damn well right. Better make him the manager over the next series of years. 35 years ago, I could have loaned your parents the money for an abortion.